Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I could not be more excited for today's episode with the one and only Terry Cruz. Uh, Terry is an incredible, incredible man. Uh, I met him several years back, and we dove into a profound conversation around masculinity and the mature masculine. And you'll likely know Terry from his uh, TV and film work. Um, He's uh, currently hosting America's Got Talent, uh, but he's been uh, on screens big and small for some time. He was a professional football player in the NFL for quite a number of years and actually a tremendously accomplished artist, Um, really versatile and and quite an incredible story. I think you're really going to get a lot of value out of this episode. Um, he talks about overcoming um, obstacles, about radical reinvention, about um, you know his childhood and some of the adversity there, and ways in which he applied you know mindsets to transcend obstacles throughout his life. I got a huge amount of value from this episode, and I think that you will too. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge and shout out the two uh, partners that have enabled this show to happen. Uh, The first is Four Sigmatic. I reached out to Four Sigmatic when I launched the show because I absolutely love their product. Um, I actually am drinking their mushroom, lion's mane infused mushroom coffee as we speak. It's my favorite coffee. It it's, tastes incredible, but it also has lion's mane, which is actually what monks used uh, traditionally to enhance uh, cognitive performance and focus. And it's one of my favorite brands. They have an adoptogenic coffee, which I've been drinking uh, for, for the last couple of weeks, um, lion's mane coffee. For focus, for taste, it's uh, one of my staples, and I can't recommend them enough. Um, Check out Four Sigmatic. It's foursigmatic.com, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com, and backslash peak for 15% off. Um, Really amazing products. I've been using it for years. It's part of my daily routine, and I cannot recommend them more. So check out Four Sigmatic. I'd also like to thank Organifi. Organifi is my go-to source for healthy organic protein. So I use them for a variety of things. They actually have an incredible green juice and red juice and a variety of products, BDNF lemonade, but principally, I've been using them of late for my recovery uh, and, and sometimes meal replacement with their organic protein powder. It's got all organic ingredients. There's no like artificial added sugars or things I don't really know what they are, added ingredients that, uh, that oftentimes I'll find in protein powders where I'm like, I don't think this is quite what I'm looking for in terms of health. And Organifi has been a real gem for me in terms of post and pre-workout nutrition. So, uh, you know, I'll I'll exercise, work out if I'm good on a daily basis. And what I'll do is I'll I'll likely, if if I'm intermittent fasting, I'll try to wait until after my workout. And then Organifi uh, protein smoothie is is usually my go-to. I'll I'll mix in blueberries for their for their uh, cognitive benefits. Um, I'll put in spinach because I I get my greens that way, um, and then some pre and probiotics. And it's I feel amazing. So check out Organifi O R G A N I F I, and at checkout if you put in Peak Mind, you'll get twenty percent off. Uh, could not recommend uh, Organifi more. I hope you enjoy them. And without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce an episode that I absolutely loved recording with the one and only Terry Cruz. I am here today with Terry Cruz. Hey, Terry, good up? to see you again, oh, my good man. To see you, Terry. Yes. Good to see you. So Terry is uh, known by many. Obviously, he's uh, a film and television star. Uh, he's been in uh, numerous commercials, including my Old Spice, which is my favorite. <laughs> um, but also a father of five, 
and a author of a, an incredible book called Manhood, which is where we actually did a deep dive. We met at an event around uh, food justice, actually. That's right. That's right. Yeah, but, and, and a lot of the messages around what's going on in Flint, which, as I understand, is your, is your hometown at, at Russell Simmons' house. Yeah. Yes. And had a beautiful conversation for, for over an hour specifically about the mature masculine, which, which I'm really excited to talk to you about. So, first question is, uh, Terry, can you talk a little bit about your journey? I mean, I know, I know you grew up uh, in Flint, and I know actually which you, you wound up going into the arts. How did, how did an artist wind up in the NFL? Wow, it's, uh, I, can, I, I am what I, call, what I would call a unicorn mm. in many, many, many different ways. Uh, I'm left-handed, right-brained. Um, art was very, very important to me as a kid. Uh, you know, I, I came up in Flint, Michigan, a very abusive household, um, two different things. My father was addicted to alcohol and my mom was addicted to religion. Hmm. So it's a very caustic mix and, and the thing where I would retreat into certain things and art was something that I retreated into. It was my, it was a, it was my peaceful place. It was where I meditated in a lot of ways. Um, I would go into drawing and painting and it became this thing but also because of the my my dad was very abusive to my mother and i witnessed a lot of that so you're talking about you know some of my earliest memories is you know my father hitting my mother in the face and you're talking you know to a five-year-old boy the whole thing becomes now about being strong and about wow, one day I, I have to protect her and myself. I don't know, but you're helpless. I mean, you're at a very, very helpless state. So you, you, you can either go one of two ways where you either retreat into learned helplessness, where you just, you know, check out, or you overcompensate. Where for me, it became about achievement, right? It became about doing, it became about. Uh, you know, I have to make it no matter what, and I'm going to get stronger. So I literally would lift and I mean, I, I was literally six, seven years old and I had a hernia uh, because no I was lifting furniture and all the things because I, my whole desire was to be strong. And so I had this art and this strength and I was in Flint, Michigan, and I knew that no one was going to pay me to draw my way out of Flint, Michigan. <laughs> you know, it just wasn't going to happen, man. No, so, uh, but the, the way out of Flint, Michigan for a young African-American male was athletics. Yes. I watched time after time so many pro stars. Uh, Glenn Rice was in Flint. Carl Banks, another uh, football player who was from Flint. Uh, Andre Risen. Mm -hmm. And that was our way out. Like, basketball, football, track, whatever, boxing, whatever you could do, get out. Mm -hmm. And... I chose football and I said, this is going to be my way out. And I joined the team. And the problem is I was part of a school that was academically inclined because of my art talent. Right. So the football team sucked. <laughs> that, was, that was the thing. So my whole thing was getting a scholarship. So I actually, I actually had an art. You got an art scholarship, right? I had right? an art scholarship. To Interlochen. Interlochen Arts Academy. I know it well, from the Midwest. Uh, which is crazy. Yeah, uh, and I studied with people from all over the world. That was my first experience, literally being in a different environment. Because yeah. um, I, I never left Flint, Michigan until I was 18 years old. I mean, it was very, we would go, little, take little trips to Georgia and this thing where my grandpa, grandmother lived. And, go back up, but I never went on a plane until I was 18 years old. So, uh, but I got an art scholarship to Western Michigan University, and then I walked on to the football team. After a year and a half, I earned a scholarship. My, my parents really went broke trying to, you know, fund this dream, and I, I, I still, I remember suffering guilt because I was literally taken from everyone else in my family, and I told everybody to bet on me. Yes. Uh, because, you know, it was my brother was still there, my sister was there, and I had two siblings. You know, those are my two siblings. But my parents had to do everything they could do just to get me in those semesters. And I remember they gave me um, when I went the whole first year, and I didn't get a scholarship. I mean, my art scholarship was only five hundred bucks. Hmm. And back then, in nineteen in, uh, eighty-six, you could actually work your way through school. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was back when you could have a job and go to school. 
it's impossible now. Yes. Absolutely impossible to have a job and go to a four-year university at the same time. Um, so, but back then, they said, we've got to, we can only afford one more semester. If you don't get it now, you have to come back. And I went that semester and I got my scholarship. Incredible. And went on and played seven years in the pros and the whole thing. And that's a little bit of how the art mixed with football. And I, I actually heard you would do, to, to make ends meet at times, you would draw, I don't know if this is true or not, but you would draw portraits of your teammates. This is very true, yeah. very true. Um, I had a kind of a spotty NFL career. I was all over the place. Rams, Packers, Chargers, Redskins, Eagles. I even had a stint in the German, German team for the World Football League. I played in Dusseldorf, Germany for the Rhine Fire in between the Chargers and the Redskins. So. Um, it was a spotty time, man. It wasn't, a lot of people think, you made so much money. No, it was like, I was on the end of the roster. I would be, I would get on and, and all of a sudden you'd be cut. And, and I would go back in the locker room and I would ask the guys if they would want portraits painted of them. And of course, because football players are very, very easy to see. <laughs> they were like, oh yeah, man, do me. And I want to be floating in the sky with angels. And I was like, all right, whatever you want. I was like, how many wings? Uh, we can make that happen. It will be, you know. And um, it would really, it was, it's how I survived. Yeah. I would get like, you know, $4,000, $5,000 for painting and, uh, you know, whole thing. And put it, they put it over their fireplace. And that's how I did it. But, and then I, until I could get back on a team. Yeah. And so that was the way I said, listen, just using what I had and my ability that I had, I said, this is a way that I can, you know, do my thing. I actually went, once I retired from the NFL, I actually went to NFL properties and asked, you know, I wanted to be a part of the NFL art thing and maybe design logos and the whole thing. And I was kind of rebuffed. It was kind of wild because, you know, the guys were like, oh, we don't really have a place for you here. It was really... It was a shock because you would think they would want an NFL player, but it was just, it was a different thing. And I'm glad they did. Yes. I'm very, very glad. I could have easily been stuck in New York painting, painting logos. Yeah, you, you, you've made uh, quite a life for yourself since then. But before we get into obviously what you're doing now, what was interesting to me is, is how you talk about your mindset. So I imagine obviously if you're a journeyman in the NFL, I mean, you're besieged by, it's its own challenge, right? So oh. I, can, I can only imagine. But then, so talk to me a little bit about what happened after the NFL. So I think many people assume you know you've, you've got you're, you're loaded, you're living you know the high life. But you talk a lot, and I know you, you had to really tap into humility. Can you talk a little bit about what happened for you after the NFL? Wow. Um, well, when I I left, uh, it, it was a pretty dismal time it, for me because you know you spend all this time being a football player, mm -hmm. uh, and, and your whole identity is synonymous with, you know, being an alpha male, being more masculine than everyone else, being, uh, you know, someone everyone looks up to, and then all of a sudden it's over, like zero. And if you're not, this is what I experienced when I get cut, Once every time I got cut, once you're not on the team, like you're, the people who were your friends didn't talk to you. Really? You, they were it, fair weather. It was very uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was uncomfortable for them, because they're still on the team and they're still flying away and all that and, and you're now not part of this. So a lot of friends that I had just kind of stopped and we, my wife and I, and I've been married, we, I've been going, this year I'll be 27 years married. So Congratulations. I got married the day before my 21st birthday. Um, so I was 20 years old when I got married. So. We were talking, she's been through it. We, we basically grew up together in a lot of ways. Uh, it's like we were, we were kids and now we're adults. But so I had my wife and the whole thing and we would just hop from place to place. And now it was over. Literally, she says, you know, honey, you always talked about living in LA and being part of the entertainment industry because I always wanted to do special effects for movies and paint and draw for movies and the whole thing. She said, why don't we live in LA? And I said, you know what? You got a point. I mean, we could be broke anywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, why be broke here? Yeah. Let's. I mean, we were actually in Virginia at the time. Heard of Virginia, and in a little townhouse. And we said, you know, we're broke now. So let's be broke at least in the sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Why not? And uh, we just we packed everything we had. 
went to LA with our two daughters at the time and promptly went more broke. Uh, we had took our NFL severance. It ran out in a year and I was just, we were stuck. Um, and I, was, I went through a deep, deep depression. Yeah. Very, very depressed. Um, it was one thing where I would just watch. I remember going to Blockbuster, getting movies, and watching them saying, one day I'm going to be a filmmaker, one day I'm going to do this art, and, and I'm sitting there eating cheeseburgers, and, and it'd be 1 o'clock at, at a.m., and I was getting bigger and, and more slovenly and lazier, and it, it became a pity party that didn't stop. Yeah. And now that, I'm telling you, it was down. I was probably at my lowest point I've ever been in my life. How did you get out of that? Because I think a lot of people watching, right? A lot of people find themselves in a place of challenge, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they're stuck on the sofa, literally metaphorically. And I, I mean, I, I, I can only imagine to move from that place to be beholden, you're married, you have two children. What did you do? Because I know in part you tap back into your sense of purpose. What, what was it that, that enabled you to move from that place to, to sort of the next step? Well, you know, it's, it's a series of things. Like, like you know, the, you got to hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. there's, there's, and it's a series of bottoms. <laughs> you know, I, I was telling someone earlier that you think you hit bottom, but you've just hit like a, a, a cliff, or like part <laughs> of the cliff. You, you hit a rock on the way down, you know? <laughs> um, I remember my wife, one of the things that hit me my wife came up behind me, and I was in the mirror, and she pinched my back fat. And I was like, whoa, what are you doing? What are you doing? Don't do that. You know, what are you, because I never saw it. I didn't see it yeah. while it was happening. You know, it's like this body dysmorphia where you're not, you're not able to see what's happening to you. And I was getting bigger. And she's like, no, honey, it's cute, whatever. And I was like, no, it's not cute. It's not <laughs> cute. What, what did you touch? Like, it was weird. And I realized I'm, I'm, I'm falling out, I'm going, I'm, I'm just, I am losing it. Then I would, I would consistently borrow. I had one NFL friend who was a superstar at the time who had made a lot of money and he was the guy that stuck with me. It was out of all the teams, uh, to literally to this day, his name is Ken Harvey. Mm -hmm. to, to this day, we are still the best of friends That's and bad. it's all the way. Yeah. But this guy, I would ask him for money Consistently, like, hey man, you know, uh, I'm, I'm in trouble again, this and this and this. And one day he said, Jerry, that's it. I can't give you any more money. Now you gotta understand, here I am, a grown man. I am a pro, I would tell my wife, you don't, wanna, you don't understand, I'm a pro football player. I can't go out there and get like a regular job. Right. But we're broke. Yeah. Like, we had nothing. Yeah. So this pride was still there and it was still just keeping me. And she's like, well, honey, you have a family. Yeah. Don't you understand? You got to do what you got to do. And I was like, yeah, well, how you don't have a look? And, and, uh, and I wouldn't do it. And when he said, I'm not giving you any more money. And I went, oh, no. Oh, no. Like, this is it. Like, I'm, I'm at the end. So I went to a place called Labor Ready. <laughs> Labor Ready is in various spots all around LA. Um, if you are straight out of jail, if you uh, are drug, on drugs or have problems or whatever, you show up there at five in the morning, they give you a job for the day, eight hours somewhere, and you may be, you just labor. You're just like a guy who's gonna sweep up in a factory, you're gonna go over, if you have your own car, that's even better, you can drive over to the factory. Mm -hmm. And I remember showing up there, and it was my lowest point. I was just like, I can't believe it, I'm here. With, you know, ex-cons and the whole thing. And I remember just signing the papers and they didn't care. They were just looking like, oh, whatever, dude. Yeah. And I took that job. But, and I remember I was sweeping, I think it was like Canoga Park, it was a place, a factory, and I was sweeping the factory. And I was feeling, so, I, mean, I mean, pity, like, oh, pity party. I could, look how far I've fallen. But there was a, something magical happened, like in the middle of that whole thing. While I was sweeping, it was in the action. I said, I'm actually doing something about the situation. Mm. Like something about the, the action of changing your own circumstance. Just, you didn't have any money a day yesterday, but you're getting eight 
$8 an hour now. And I said, wow. And then, and then at the end of the day, it gave me, you know, my, my 48 bucks. And I was like, I made money with my own hands today. And I went and got milk. I put like $10 in the car. I remember getting some, a couple other things. And I said, okay, I'm gonna go back tomorrow. And let me tell you something, it was a life changer. It was like, I have never been without a job since that moment. Really? Like, then I realized, wait a minute. And then another thing that hit me, I was like, I'm still alive. Like, I thought that this, that would be the lowest thing ever, and I would all of a sudden, everyone would come and pelt me with rocks and garbage and say, you used to be an NFL player, and now we are. Nobody cared. <laughs> Nobody cared. Yeah. Nobody had any idea. You're too busy working on what they're doing. Exactly. And I said, holy cow. Then I started working. I remember I went, uh, I worked at the Veterans Administration for a temp thing and I was filing papers, all the papers that fell over in the North, Northridge earthquake, I was filing all these veterans files and the whole thing and that was another $8 job, but it was a little more consistent. Then I started doing security uh, <clears throat> for the movie industry and I was just, and that was a, a lot more money. I was like, okay, not, instead of getting $8 an hour, I was getting $12 an hour, but, but I was doing my thing and I said, you know what? If anything's going to change, I have to change it. Mm -hmm. Total responsibility. Told, it's, it's like, it's on me. It's on my, and the, I tell my friend, Ken, to this day, I said, that was the best thing you ever did for me was not give me money. <laughs> you understand? It was, it was, there was an empowerment that happened when you can do for yourself, like taking what you have and actually implementing your own thing. And the thing is, you have to relearn this lesson because you think you know it and you don't. And I slowly, I, I learned it when I had to go back in to the locker rooms and paint people's, paint portraits and the whole thing. I learned it then, but then I forgot it mm -hmm. when I expected everything to happen for me. And, and it became this thing of pity and, and feel sorry for me. And this is, and that's another thing I have to address just as a man. There is a, a manly, masculine sense of entitlement that is kind of built in culturally. Uh, I, and it's kind of wild because you come to expect things and you come to say, this should, this should be here. But you know what, there's no, there's, that is not realistic. That's not a real expect. Nothing should be. You only <coughs> get what you're going after. Yeah. You know what I mean? That has nothing to do with you being a man or a woman. It has something to do with you being human. Uh, and I had that attitude and that pride prevents you from seeing how things really are. And that's, it's very, very scary. That's why I tell people male pride is a very dangerous, dangerous animal because you're caught out there and you don't even know. You have no idea. And people die out there. Yeah. They die out. The Marlboro man goes off into the sunset and he's got nothing to eat. He's got nothing but the clothes on his back, and he dies out there. He died, yeah. And he's smoking at the same time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's kind of like, he's going, yeah, but I did it my way. I'm like, that's the, that's the horrible way to go. I did it my way. It's a horrible song. It's horrible. Yeah. Because your way, what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? There's, there's no pride in that. And that's, that changed. It, it, it was a, a series of several, I mean, and it, let me tell you, that happened, but there was more for me to learn. Hmm. And it's a total journey. I'm still learning. Well, what, are, what, were the, what would you say were some of the biggest lessons? Because you talk, one of the things that I, that I loved about our conversation was talking about the notion of the mature masculine. Right. And, you know, you've touched on this total, this notion of total responsibility, which is powerful. Mm -hmm. um, channeling the adversity into, into opportunity and, and really regaining sort of dignity, but also in, through the humility, you know, which is really, which is really powerful. What are some of the other things? Because I know what blew me actually away, and might as well touch, touch on this now, is when you came out and talked about your, your addiction to pornography. I, mean, I know it's, it's so prevalent culturally. I mean, after our conversation, actually, I went and did research and saw this like nine out of 10 young men 
are 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 exposed to pornography on, on on a regular basis, and even I think it was something like six out of ten women now, young girls, and, yeah. and most see it before the age of ten. And but you came out not from a place of talking about it in a general sense. You came from a place of total responsibility um, and, and owning um, on you know your own addiction to it. Can you talk a little bit about what led you to that place? Oh yeah. Um, well, I mean, I first of all, when you're talking about the caustic mix that is religion and alcoholism. Mm -hmm. um, there's guilt and shame as a child yeah. wrapped up in both of those things because as a, you know, with a parent that's an alcoholic, all you want to do is please. You don't want anything to go wrong. So you, your feelings don't matter. It's when the alcoholic comes in, okay, what can we do to just make sure he's okay? Mm -hmm. Because it's going to be hell if he's not. It doesn't matter what I feel, right. because I just want to go to sleep and without, you know, I mean, I literally, I, I peed in a bed since I was 14 years old, just because of the stress, because you wake up and there's people fighting and glasses breaking and you don't know what's going to happen. You just want peace. Then religion goes into it, and I went to a very, very strict religious church, uh, where my mother, you know, we were not allowed to listen to secular music, we are not allowed to play sports, we were not allowed to go to the movies. We were, there was so much you couldn't do. The, the thing was like, okay, what can we do? Like, mm. just give me a list of what we could do. And they were like, hmm, we'll get back <laughs> to you. We'll get back to you on that. We're still trying to figure out if that's a sin or not. Yeah, yeah. Like, everything, it was that. And so what happens is, you, I discovered pornography when I was like 10 in my uncle's basement. It was forbidden. It was, whoa, it was, it was like, oh my God, this is like a respite. This is, now, just like my painting, just like drawing, you go into pornography, you're in another world. It was like getting high. And I'm 10. And I'm sitting there like, man, I've never seen nothing like this. And I'm going, oh my God. And you start, and, and what happens is, with a very religious household, you don't tell anybody. You can't really talk about your thoughts or, you know, that you're, what are you doing? What are you doing? And it became a thing of... It was what you did in secret. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You had to keep it. And everybody had secrets. And it's, it's so funny, the church that I went to that was that religious, the, the pastor was actually selling drugs out of the pulpit, which was crazy. I mean, now it all comes out. Right. But it was one of those moments where, you know, you see all the time a big time religious figure who falls mightily because he's hard on everybody, but all of a sudden you find he has a whole double life. And you learn to have a double life because you must be this way in front of everybody and then you can be, you gotta be something else because you can't hold that up. You can't sustain that kind of thing because it's, 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 not, it's not real. Right. And so I became that guy where here I was, you know, I, I remember going to porn, uh, porn shops and bookstores and uh, peep shows and I, and it's kind of wild because even while I was married, I would do all this stuff. And, and it was weird because it, I felt like there were two Terry Cruises. Mm. And as things got, like anytime there was stress in my life, anytime there was, I would run to it in some way or another. I remember when VHSs came out and I would, you know, run to a, a place where I could get rent videos and do it in secret and watch it the whole thing and then but act like, you know, I'm going to church and hey, we're all good. And no, I wouldn't do that. My wife would even ask me, you know, you ever, you ever watch it? Oh no, no, that's crazy. Oh boy, you know, yeah. knowing full well yeah. that I was doing it. And what happened is it finally culminated, probably I would say 2009, 2010, when it hit, my wife was like, I don't know you anymore. Mm. I'm literally, I'm going to leave. I'm leaving. You have this thing, I don't know, you're not, there's something you're not telling me, I don't know, because you can't hide from the one that knows you that close. She knew you since you were 20. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and there were things I wasn't telling you, and what was happening was, it, it come, one of the bad things I did was, 10 years earlier, around 99, 2000, when I was first, in act, first got into acting, I went to a massage parlor and got a hand job. And it was like, yo, but the pornography use led to that. But I never told her. Like, I said, I'm going to my grave with that secret. Like, I'm never telling anybody that. And when she
she said, she was like, there's something I don't know about you. There's something I'm not, it, it, the, the guilt, the shame, because I knew what I had done, but I constantly had to deny it constantly. I mean, for years, and finally, I said, she's leaving anyway. I said, you know what, I gotta just come clean. I gotta. Yeah. And I finally told her. And then she really left. Like, she's like, okay, I'm really out now. I didn't know it was that deep. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it was, we talking about another rock bottom. Yes. You know? Um, but you were in part, it sounds like, almost, uh, almost masking out the part that you had to reconcile in yourself. Yeah. Through through the 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 the, the, the habit, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, and it was and it's it's bad. Yeah. I wouldn't tell any no one knew. Like I wouldn't even closest friends and it was just there was something that was my secret because it would ruin the image. And I'd already been acting by this time. Sure. You know what I mean? I'd already You're been pretty adult, successful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, um, and it got to a point where, you know, I was like this was unbelievable, and I, I realized, because I would go into therapy, me and my wife would go to marital therapy, and I wasn't telling him the truth. Mm. How are you gonna get help if you can't tell everything? And finally, when that came out, uh, I went to him, and he said, Terry, you have a double life. Mm -hmm. He said, there are certain places that we can go, you can go and you can talk to certain professionals about this. And I went to a place in Phoenix, and basically that deals, deals with people with sex addiction, and pornography addiction, and the whole thing. And, uh, and even going there, I was like, this ain't me. Oh my God, this is not me. This is crazy. All right. Denial all the way. Uh, and I was like, these people are nuts. And I was nuts. Yeah. I'm, and talking to these guys and breaking down exactly what was up with me, and literally sitting in my room, quietly, asking myself questions. Mm -hmm. That was crazy, because you don't even, I don't even know me. Yeah. You, know, you think you know yourself. You lost yourself, yeah. And you don't know yourself. You have to really ask yourself, what is important to you? Who are you? What did you, so in delving, it sounds like almost like delving into your shadow. I mean, like in going into that place, what did you find? Like, what, what, what did you commit? Because I know you're a man, I know you as a man of purpose, as a man of integrity. I mean, like, and you, and you speak very um, transparently, which I, which I so admire about you. What, what did you find in, the, in, that, in that shadow space about who you were or who you were committed to becoming? Well, I found out I was a liar. Mm. I found out I wasn't, there was no truth in me. Mm. I found out I was two people. And I also found that I believed a lie. Mm. That was the hardest, hardest part. Because you, you succumb, you can't go past what you believe. Mm. You know, and I thought everybody had two lives. But I ran into people who were like, I don't have a problem with pornography. I don't, I don't even, I don't have any issue with it. I mean, not that they watch it, they don't. They just like, and I thought that was impossible. I was like, oh, you're lying. This guy's lying. You know what I mean? But I found yeah. that there were people who did not have that problem. There were people who actually were healed and well and grew up nice and, and really loved their families and did that. I thought it was a game. I thought it was a joke mm -hmm. because there were so many people in my life that were double. And I, my father, he just beat up my mom. He'd walk outside, yeah, I love my family. And you're like, but I know what's really okay. I'll be quiet. You know, and you, I know pastors and coaches and people, and you watch them fall all the time. You're like, that's everybody. Mm. It's not everybody. Mm. It's not everybody. Yeah. And I started to realize, holy cow, like, wait a minute. And I had believed a lie. Now I had to change my beliefs. And one of the biggest beliefs that I, I had truly have absorbed into my being was that I, Terry Crews, as a man, was more valuable than my wife and kids. Wow. That was a lie that I had internalized. Because if you're more valuable than another person, then what you say goes. So I can do whatever I want to do, and I just, you know, Anytime you have a problem with it, just be quiet. There are videos I watch of myself 
talking to my, my daughter, she's 25 year old, years old now, back when she was eight, and I'm totally ashamed of the way I talk. It was harsh, it was, shut up, you know, get out of here, and I was like, I looked at this video and I was in tears, mm. because I was like, an eight year old did not deserve that. Mm. I mean, here I am, I'm, I was 250 pound, big old giant guy, yelling at her like she was some dude in a bar. Yeah. And I said, this is, but that's, you can only do that to people you're more valuable than, people you feel you're above. And it was, it, I slowly but surely realized that I was in a cult, so to speak. A cult of masculinity is what mm -hmm. I call it. And you have to be deprogrammed because you have to have, once the truth keeps coming, and I tell people all the time, it's like cracking an egg. You can't seal it again. Like, you can put tape on it. <laughs> yeah. It just keeps oozing. And, you know, you're like, man, it's egg. <laughs> it just won't, you know, and everything you try to do, it cracks again. Yeah. But you got to carry it all day. And it's cracked. And all of a sudden, you find it just butts wide open. Yes. It's like the egg is all over the place. Yes. And then you, there's nothing to hide anymore. You're just dirty. You just realize there it is. Mm-hmm. It's so spot on. I mean, I remember because we talked about this at Russell's place. Basically, that notion of it, there isn't a, a, a model of mature masculinity that we grow up with, right? And, and, and unfortunately, many men grow up without a father, period. But in, 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 since time immemorial, at least in traditional cultures, there was a ritualization. I remember in South Africa, I know you've been to South Africa. Yes. You know, you're seeing these costa, like the, these processes of individuation, right? Where a boy is literally brought in by the men to manhood, right? Yes. Through trials, but we don't, we don't, we don't have any of that, and uh, so it leads. I think, like you said, it leads to this unfortunately unhealthy cult of masculinity. Well, you're talking about uh, coming up in Michigan. There was pimp culture. Yeah. Everywhere I went, it was like, hey man, look, you want to talk to these girls? You got a lot of them. And that was the lesson. That was the, this, this is what we're gonna, we're gonna I'm gonna peep you over. What they call, you know, peep game. Yeah. You gotta learn your game. What's your, what's your line, what's your game? I said, well, I, I like her. No, 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 don't tell her you like her. Don't tell her that. Because the key was to keep a woman off balance. Mm. She, she doesn't know whether you like her or not, therefore you can control her with that kind of moves, those indecisions, just like they would do a slave. You didn't know whether the slave master was happy or mad, but that always kept you on your toes. And it's a, a way of controlling and making, but that's, the pimp thing is the same thing. Mm. And, and not only is it part of the culture, it's actually praised. It's actually sang about. It's like, I'm a pimp, uh, that's part of the chorus. Right. And so you grow up with this thing where now you, the, the, the as many girls as you can get is a good thing. How many women can you trick became the lesson. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yo, I mean, again, lies, lies that have been told to you over and over again. Because there's one thing I found to be true is that, you know, the truth is, is you can have the truth right there, but the thing you believe is what has been repeatedly told. And shown. And shown. Mm -hmm. That's the thing, because the truth is, it just actually has to be revealed. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times, it's more about, you know, whatever you keep hearing over and over and over and over again, you will eventually accept. Mm -hmm. That's just the truth. And you have to, have to be in a conscious state of questioning all the time. You have to always be in a state of, wait a minute, what did that mean? What did you just mean there? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and listen, when this stuff started happening to me, I was strange. <laughs> I was very, very strange. It, be, it was like body snatchers, you know what I mean? I was like, wait, 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 get away from me. What are you talking about? Hey, hey, you're lying. You know? Everybody's like, calm down, Terry. <laughs> um, it was, I'm going to give you a story. It was kind of crazy. It was wild because I, I had a very hard time saying no to people. Mm -hmm. Extremely hard time. Because as a pleaser, you just want peace. So you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, we're working out. People ask me to do things, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. And I remember going out with my family and people would want an autograph. And I was like, oh yeah, sure, sure, and I'm at dinner. 
And I would take pictures all night. And my wife and kids are just sitting there and I would constantly just come back to the table, take a bite and get back up and take more pictures. And then when I, my wife was like, you know, we're not going out with you anymore. I was like, what is the problem? I said, look, I said, these people, you know, uh, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be doing this. Terry, why can't you tell them no? We're eating. Why can't you just spend some time with us? I was like, because you know, if I tell them no, it'll be a problem. And I'll lose my jobs. And, then, and dude, my, my, I went to a therapist and she was like, Terry, you can tell people no. I was like, I can't do it. I can't. I said, uh, yeah, it was, what if the director wanted you to do something you didn't agree with? Mm. I said, well, I'd have to do it because that's my job. She said, no, you don't. I said, yes, I do. Said, no, you don't. And I was like, well, what would I do? She said, get another job. Mm -hmm. I said, no, but I want to act. And I said, well, if you can't tell them no, then maybe you shouldn't be acting. I was like, this is crazy. Dude, I was flipping, but I saw in a moment, I understood what she was saying as a human being. That's your power. Mm -hmm. It's the ability to tell people no. The ability to say no. Mm. And your yes, if you give them a yes, you mean it. Yes. It's from your the heart. Of the word. It's, it's just the integrity. It's, mm. the, it's, the, it's the impeccability of mm. your word. Mm. It's powerful. Yes. It's your only power. Yeah. So I remember going to a gas station. Went to a gas station. And this guy was like, hey man, I got an autograph. I was like, no, no. <laughs> it was so weird. It was the first time I tried it. <laughs> no. They got, like, come on, man. Come on, dude. I said, no, 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 no. Listen, I went nuts. Oh the dude God. was like, damn, man. <laughs> damn, dude. I was like, forget it, man. All right. I said no, and I meant no. That's what I mean. I mean no. I was going off. I, thought, <laughs> I know somebody thought I was crazy, but it had to be, because that was the seismic shift. It was mm -hmm. the earthquake that happened to me. Yeah. Now, it's much better now. <laughs> <laughs> no, not right now. You know? yeah, yeah. But at that time, I remember in my car, I was shaking, shaking. Because I said, I couldn't do it before. Yeah. And now I, I, I was just practicing. And that was like powerful, man. And, mm. But I believed all these things that were wrong and believed all these things that weren't right. And uh, you know, the world can be an illusion and you get comfortable even in bad illusions. Like, you know, there are people who, can, who, who come up in war and are more comfortable in war than they are in peace. Sure. That's the truth. And I found that there were things that I liked that were wrong with me. Mm -hmm. That you actually learn to like what your problems are. Mm -hmm. And that's a very, very dangerous place to be. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't ever want to be where you like your problems. No. What advice would you give? Because I, I, I think to myself, man, you've gone on such a journey and, and the mindset that you have developed and the through the vulnerability, I mean, really, I mean, you're, you're extraordinarily transparent with what you've been through. If you were to talk to, say, an 18-year-old in Flint, Michigan, or you know, uh, a young man, you know, somewhere around the globe, what are some of the tenets that you would that encourage them to to pursue in knowing themselves, right? Because well, a lot of what you're talking about really is is your journey into your own sort of individuation, but also like. I mean, to me, you, 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 are, you are representing a lot of what it means to be a mature man. So, so for someone who's just now getting into manhood, what are, sort of, what are some of the, the key tenets that you feel are, are crucial to the mature masculine? Number one key tenet. Um, let's see. They, they changed day to day. <laughs> but I would say, and this is what I do tell men all the time, yeah. is that you are priceless. Already, already, there's nothing you have to do to get more value. But you're tricked into that. You're tricked into, now you, you can have more value at your job, you can have more value as a player on a team, you can have more value uh, just you know within your family and you work that way out. But as a human being, you are already 
at the top of your value. Mm -hmm. You're priceless just because you exist. Now the trick is, and this is where everyone's tricked, they're tricked into competing. You're tricked into competition. And the opposite of creativity is not no creativity. The opposite of creativity is competition. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm competing with you, I am just trying to be better than you. Right. But if I'm creative, there's no, no competition. It's all me. And it's all what I do. And it's all what you do what you do. Yes. And there's no competition at all. There's no, and let me tell you, it's, it's wild because the trick is you don't understand. You need everyone to be successful for you to be successful. The best, best example I've ever given of this, and I tell kids this all the time. I say, if you go to Fifth Avenue in New York and you see Gucci, and every store on Fifth Avenue is Gucci. Gucci won. Gucci has won Fifth Avenue. That's all you're gonna get, be able to get when you go to Fifth Avenue in New York City, all you're gonna be able to get is Gucci. Yeah. No one would go. Now, one, finally, why would I go? You need Prada, you need Louis Vuitton, you need all those other labels and designers, and then just like you, the restaurant, if all you can get is everything at one restaurant, okay, hey, this restaurant won, that's all we're gonna eat, no one would go. Right. Because you want different things all the time. Diversity. Their success is your success. And everyone needs to be together to win. So it, it's not a competition. It's creativity. Mm -hmm. Creativity means you're the only person who can give what you got. Mm. I'm the only person who can give what I have. Together, it's an amazing thing. But guys are tricked into beat your buddy. You must be better than him. You, this is where I came up in the NFL, yeah. where it was the whole thing is if you don't beat that guy in front of you, you're out of a job. And you're gone, you're done. In fact, and then I, then I tell people, this is the clincher. If you only can be creative when you know your value, when you know your prices. That's what the essence of creativity is. But way, the way you get tricked is because you win. Okay, you beat the guy. Now you're a winner. I'm a winner. I won. So now I'm better than everybody else. Now I stand above you. I am more valuable as a human being than my family, than the people I'm going against. I'm a superstar, I'm an athlete, I am an actor, I am, I want to, I'm a scientist, I am whatever. But the problem with that is that when you become your wins, now I become my wins, I am a win, you inevitably must become your losses. That's the issue. And when you become a loss, you're lower than everybody. Mm. You're below everything. This is why athletes commit suicide. Mm -hmm. This is why actors can't handle, this is where the drug problem comes in, because they know the secrets, they know the real. This is where as an actor, you, I, I come up with tons of actors who don't believe they deserve the success they have. Mm -hmm. Because I know the real me, mm. and it's lower than everybody else. You might think I'm a winner, but I know the real me. So you treat everyone else bad. Mm. And you just, it becomes this cycle of shame and you can't get out of it. And the shame just keeps growing. So to fix it, you take drugs, and you do whatever, or you womanize, or you're addicted to sex, or you're addicted to pornography. To beat shame, you do it again mm. to feel better. But then it's, it brings more shame. So. I, when you know that you are priceless and you are good just the way you are, now, now you can deal things, with things on a whole nother plane. Mm. It's now you're not even competing with anyone anymore. And you can be yourself. You can tell people no. And that's what I tell these young kids, because kids are tricked at a young age. You know, and it's you all around. Them. You're told you gotta compete. You gotta compete. Go to go to school, and you gotta go to this college. And we got, and not only that, the best school. It's gotta be this school. It's gotta be that. It's gotta be this. And man, when the thing is, if you just do what you love, a lot of people, and I tell kids all the time, you know, it's funny. The the 
True success is just doing what you want. But the problem is there are people who are doing what everyone else wants for them and they, they are successful doing that, but they don't feel like they're successful because you're not doing what you want. Mm. That's the truth. And it's like true success is just doing what you want. If you want to farm and you always wanted to farm, but your, but your mother and father wanted you to be a doctor or a lawyer mm -hmm. and you chose being a doctor and a lawyer, you're miserable. And you could be the one, a very successful doctor and you're in misery because you wanted to be a farmer the whole time. Yeah, you're and not being authentic. You're not being authentic. Be, this, and this is why when you're creative, you're just you. Mm -hmm. But when you're competing, you've got to be a doctor and a lawyer because, you know, and you know it's funny because I, I learned that there are a lot, that, a lot of kids that would rather take less money if they knew they were making more money than the other person. Mm. Then if you were all by yourself and you would make, make triple the, the amount, but they'd rather know that they were making more than the other guy and they'll take less yes. at another job. It's crazy, which is absolutely insane when you think about it because the true success is over here by yourself. Yeah. When you're not comparing yourself to anybody. And that's where I have chose to live. Mm. Terry Crews is living on his own planet. Yes. That's it. I choose the gravity. I choose what the atmosphere looks like. And if, let me tell you, and I'm going to tell you the truth. If somebody is affecting my planet, you're off my planet. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I choose how my atmosphere is going to be. I choose the people that I want around me. And, and, and it's not a, eh, get out of here. And a lot of times it's just don't call them back. Yeah. A lot of times it's, okay, I won't go there again. And it feels good. A lot of times it's not picking up the phone. Mm. Like, oh, you don't have to answer that. You know? In fact, it's block the number. Woo, wow. <laughs> it's a sunny day always in Terry Crews Land. <laughs> but a lot of people, again, you have to pick up the phone. Yeah. They have to take you in. Family members and, and friends. And, 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 and. You always be there. No, you don't. You don't have to be with them. No. no, you know, not if they're negative, not if they're negative, not if they hurt you, mm -hmm. not if they hurt you. It sounds like what you're talking about is so many of us, I think, get at effect to other people's agendas, right? It's all we're besieged by them all the time. And but what you've what you've committed to is really being the source, the cause of, of, of your world. Listen, and I'm still learning. Yeah. First of all, when you've had a seismic shift like that, you don't trust yourself. Mm -hmm. You don't trust anything, any bit of pride. Mm -hmm. You don't trust it. Like, you call it being transparent. I just call it, hey man, hey dude, I made all the mistakes. Yeah. You know, when you've done that, when you've seen where I was the biggest guy, around, you know it's a lie. I'm just being truthful. Yes. And look, and you know what? And it feels good. Yeah. I'm telling you, it feels good, man, to, to know I am one person. I don't have secrets. I'm not hiding anything. I'm not, I can go in, I am one person. I have no problem. It's to say, I've never felt this free. Never, ever, ever. And this is only, literally, I'm 48 years old. Mm. This has only been the last seven, eight years of my life. Mm. And it's the best. And I tell people, life gets better. Yeah. You know, because you're supposed to get smarter. <laughs> but you know, that's yeah. the thing. And, uh, but it's, it's hard when you're trapped. It's like uh, you're trapped in your gig, you're trapped in your thing, you're trapped in, I'm a, you know, I, I mean, when I came out with this whole pornography thing, I had pastors of churches that were like, I wish I could say it, mm. but I would lose my job. Mm. And I thought, you need to lose it. Yeah. It's the same way as the ladies like, hey man, can you tell people no? You know, when my, when my therapist told me, hey, you know, you need to be, be able to tell people no or get another job. But I was like, I can't do it, I'll lose it. We well, need to lose it. Mm -hmm. You've set yourself free. 
I tell them, I say no all the time. People are like, well, Terry Crews does a lot. He, he works so much. You should see the stuff I said no to. <laughs> I mean, it's like a, it's, it's a whole, like, the stack goes all the way. The scripts that go all the way. Like, no, 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 no. Not doing that. No. And I've turned down major dollars. Major. Yes. Just because I said, I can't stand for that. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. I won't do that. Because there, there's no way I'm not gonna I'm gonna jump back into a box. When you get out of it, you're out of the cage, you're free from the paradigm. There's no way I'm jumping back in. Yes. No way. And now I'm just doing the wonderful, amazing stuff. I love Old Spot. Yes. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I got a couple questions. I know we have to wrap up. I, know, I, got, I, I, I got a couple I questions. Talk. I, God, man, I could talk to you for hours, uh, but I want to be mindful of your time. Um, Kind of rapid fire. What does Terry Crews stand for? <sighs> wow, that's a bit, I, can't I mean, a few, a few words. It doesn't uh, have to be the definitive Terry Crews. You Cruz. know, I stand for love. Mm. I stand for strength. Mm. I stand for being a real man. Yeah. Beautiful. On your, because one of the things that resonates with me is you, you're multi-talented but you show up, I, I feel like, unlike the label, right? Especially in this town where so much is about what you do rather than who you be. Right. On your deathbed, hopefully 50, 60 years from now, what do you hope that people remember when they think about Terry Crews? That when you think about Terry Crews, I want people to remember that it's impossible to realize an outside without first realizing an inside. That, I, the spirit of Terry Crews will never die. Yes. And I want every person on earth to realize that their spirit doesn't die either. Mm. And it's more than this. Uh, and I promise, uh, listen, this is what I plan when I'm on my deathbed. I literally have, a, have this plan and I'm going to do it. I'm going to be making videos. I'm going to be making videos and telling everyone to relax, have a party, enjoy, because I have just moved on to bigger and better. Mm. It's not a sad time. Mm-hmm. Um, I truly view death as a moving up. Mm. I do, because this is bigger than me. Mm. All this, all this stuff, I don't, again, it's like looking at the world as it is, is like imagining, or actually looking at the world as it is right now is like seeing the sun and thinking it actually goes down. Mm. But the sun does not go down. Mm. We go around the sun. Yes. It's an illusion. And what you see, what you see, the, the circumstances you're in, whatever you're looking at right now is the result of something much, much more powerful. And it's, you have to, you know, and I don't know where you stand religiously. I am the most non-religious guy ever, but you have to be spiritual. Mm. There is, there's a, every man has a spirit. You have a spirit. Every, I feel different people and I know them. I can hear a voice and know it's my wife. Mm. You know, and I, I don't have to see her, I know her, I feel when she comes in the room. Yes. And my spirit, it ain't going nowhere. And I, that's what I want people to know. Well, I, I, that's not even quick, that's not quick. <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible, it's impossible. It was, well, but uh, real talk, it's what I needed to hear, because mm-hmm. I, I shared with you a little bit about what's going on with my dad, and, and that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the closest people to me on the planet. And so, when you, when you do reckon with that which is most valuable to you, it's, it's, it's you have to come to that sense of, of, of faith in the fact that we do endure on and, and we do leave a legacy. And yeah. I want to acknowledge you, Terry, uh, before we wrap up. Uh, I haven't known you that long, but I see a man who is standing vulnerably and in that vulnerability powerfully for what it means to be a man. And in a world all too frequently pushing a, a paper tiger version of the masculine. 
you actually stand in the fire. I'll tell you actually real quickly. There was a, I have friends who are Comanche. Comanche were the, of the last um, people that were put on reservations. And he, and he said to me, he said, you know, people look at the fire and they get transfixed by the flame. He said, but the real power, the real power is in the coals. Because the coals are what keep it burning. Wow. And to me, you're a coal in the conversation. And so I honor you and I, and I appreciate you for being here. And it, it means a lot to me. And I know it meant a lot to the people watching. So thank you, Terry. I'm honored. Thank you. I'm so honored. Thank yeah. you. Um, and um, to take it to a bit of a different note, I, I'd love to uh, maybe get a little bit of a workout. Yeah, let's do it. Let's All right, my man, let's do it. And there you have it, powerful episode with Terry Crews, who I think uh, helps to redefine the conversation around the new masculine. I absolutely loved the depths that we covered, um, hearing a bit more about his journey um, and the notion of, of reinvention and how he's you know, really consciously created and then recreated himself throughout his life and I think it's a valuable principle that all of us can apply into our own and so I hope you got a lot of value out of today's conversation with Terry Crews if you loved it please uh, please please take the time to uh, to rate to subscribe and to review the podcast wherever you're listening iTunes Google Podcasts uh, it would mean the world to me because the intention with Peak Mind is that uh, we can get it out to as many people as possible. And when you subscribe, rate, and review, it moves up in the algorithm. So greatly appreciate it. Uh, again, if you, if, if, you, if you found value, please uh, also take a picture and tag uh, myself, at Michael Trainer and at Terry Cruz. And let us know what insights you garnered from the episode. It would mean the world to me. I hope you're having an absolutely beautiful day. Go out there and live your inspired life.